0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. All right, then. So we're going to talk about the latest, except it's not malware to make the Headlines all over the world. Yes. And, and and cause international incidents and all of that.
0: As of the recording of this podcast anyway. By the yeah. time
1: this podcast goes live, there may be even worse news. Yeah, it's it's funny because we were talking about what we wanted to call this and and uh we, we thought of all of our flame metaphors and jokes and, and, and puns and, and puns. Um and I was going to make the joke about it being uh, our old flame and like ah, oh, except it's new. Except it, as it turns out, it's not. This this uh, malware has been making headlines over the past few weeks, as of the date of of recording on June first, and uh, two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. But as it turns out, um, this brand new uh, latest uh, um, malware—I was going to call it a virus, but let's just call it malware—isn't um, new at all. Uh, And that's one of the fascinating things about it. But there are many fascinating things.
0: Yeah, uh, the the component file name, the main part, the foundation of this malware uh, may date back as early as 2007, possibly Mm -hmm. even earlier. And one of the reasons why this is a really fascinating, uh, uh, well, there's so many reasons why this is fascinating malware. One is that it was able to escape attention for so long. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about... Uh, a file that is capable of doing lots and lots of stuff depending upon what you add to it, which mm-hmm. is brings us to fascinating thing number two. It's a modular kind of malware. Yes. Now, in general, when someone creates some malware, there is there tends to be a specific goal in mind of the person who's designing it, mm-hmm. right? They're thinking, yeah. I want to design this malware because what it will do is it will allow me to get – backdoor access to another person's computer mm-hmm. and I'll be able to get administrative control of that machine and then I can create a botnet. That that would be one example.
1: Or I want to record keystrokes so that I can get usernames and passwords for people's accounts and maybe commit identity theft.
0: Right. Or I want to create a piece of code that will propagate itself across a network, which, you know, on its own is just one thing. Mm-hmm. Like so you might want to add more to it. And and historically hackers and and malware programmers have been doing that. They've been creating malware that either complements some other piece of code or it acts as the first step to another piece of code that can in combination create Whatever the effect is that the hacker wants, mm-hmm. so there might be one part of the code that is designed to help get access to a network, or perhaps it's designed to uh, to copy itself once it gets on a network. It might even be to copy itself multiple times on the same machine in order to fill up that machine's memory and and uh, hard drive space so that you brick the machine. Mm-hmm. It all depends on what the goal is for the hacker. Uh, And then there might be some other component that does something else on top of it. Well, what makes Flame so interesting is that it takes this concept to a new level. It's a modular kind of malware, Mm -hmm. meaning that the basis of Flame is so that you can infect a machine and then you can send a modular tweak to that malware that's now living on the victim's machine. And give it specific abilities. So think of it in a way as kind of a very, very much scaled down operating system.
1: Kind of. It's, yes. it's a platform. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's not, not a full operating system in the traditional sense. It's not like it's, uh, uh, taking over your operating system and, and interacting with your computer's hardware. It's just sort of, on a, on a high level, the same basic concept. It's acting as a platform that other applications can operate op- on top of and affect how your computer behaves. And it all depends on which modules you send to the Flame Foundation that will uh, allow it to do whatever it is you want it to do.
1: Right, right. Um- when we talked about hackers before on the show, we've we've discussed uh, people who are known as script kiddies, and uh, that that's what they sort of uh, uh, it's sort of a derogatory uh, term for people who are very very basic um, hackers yeah. who are intent on causing mischief. And the reason they're called that is not. Uh, well, the reason I want to talk about why they're called that is because in order to create malware, it doesn't take a whole lot of code to do this. Um, you could basically say write a script that says, "Look, I want you to erase, you know, I want you to copy all the the uh, addresses in the address book, email a copy of this script to everybody in the address book, and then wipe the hard drive clean. Ha, ha. Yeah. It really doesn't have to be that complex. and And one of the things that uh uh, is also interesting about Flame is that, uh, as Jonathan said, it's modular, but it takes up 20 megabytes of space. Now, in in our terms today, that's not a particularly large file. A lot of people have broadband; it's not an an issue to download a 20 megabyte file. But you really don't need that much code to have a basic virus or trojan right um this is extensively written code it's very sophisticated code to allow additional modules to operate on the main system and that's why uh organizations that have been affected by it uh believe that it might be state sponsored uh we we should point out too that this is not something that you're likely to get on your pc this is aimed at very high-level uh, government-run systems, apparently.
0: Yeah, if you're a high-level government official, then maybe your PC would be at risk. Yeah, but if you're, and to be more specific, if you're a high-level government official in a country in the Middle East. Yes, because that tends to be the, or possibly Hungary. Because those that's, those tend to be the countries that have been targeted. Specifically, Iran and Israel have had the largest number of infected computers, but there are other countries that also seem to have it. Or at least that, those are the the countries that have computers running this software. Mm-hmm. Also, Whether, the uh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say also the uh, West Bank, uh, yes. Palestinian West Bank, yep. and uh, uh, Lebanon. Or, yeah. Are are known to be uh, right. places where this has and been then found.
0: Oddly enough, in Hungary, although I, you know, that's I was about to go into a Renaissance festival speak. I <laughs> I managed to avoid it this entire season, and I almost said, "I know not why that is." So, <laughs> yeah.
1: also uh, uh, Austria, Russia, yeah. Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah. UAE. So,
0: now, some of these may be uh, unintentional targets. Right. They may not be the targeted computers because you would, you, the, the conclusion we draw is whichever countries seem to have the highest rates of infection are more likely to be the targeted countries. Of course, we can't know that for sure. It may be based upon just the behaviors of the people who work within that, that, that country, but it's a, it's a fair indicator. Now let's talk a little bit about what this malware can actually do and then why someone might use it to target those particular countries.
1: Well, some people feel that it's a, a, a relative of Stuxnet or, or Dooku, uh, both of which have been known to circulate in the same part of the world. Um, Stuxnet was uh, aimed apparently at uh, uh, power plants think, and other infrastructure stuff. I like, think
0: it's safe to say Stuxnet was specifically engineered to target Iranian nuclear Power facilities.
1: That, that's the way. That's that's the way it's presented. Yes, B- because I didn't write it, so I don't know.
0: One of the functions of Stuxnet was to change the the rate of uh, revolutions per per minute for um, centrifuges, mm-hmm. and the whole idea was that by changing that that speed at which the centrifuge turns within a nuclear power facility, you could cause a failure of that part of the facility, thus effectively shutting it down. Um uh, Presumably, if you could get it to spin uh, erratically enough, you could cause m- uh, more of a catastrophic failure than just you know slowing down the program. Mm-hmm. But that appears to be what Stuxnet was all about. Now now we still don't have official news of who was behind it, although of course there are a lot of um, there are a lot of likely candidates but uh but uh, along those lines, flame is a little different. F- Stuxnet of course was was looking at at least uh, uh, from what we understand, physically sabotaging a power facility. Mm-hmm. Flame looks like it's more about spying upon uh
1: various targets that's that's true um it is uh it o- is also written uh, like those other two pieces of malware using a uh, uh scripting language called. Lua, I I haven't ever heard that pronounced, L-U-A, which yeah. is often used actually for in the gaming industry.
0: Yeah, in fact, Lua is an, an obscure enough language that it might actually be – one of the reasons why the hackers may have chosen Lua as one of the languages they worked in is because it was obscure enough to not raise red flags immediately. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't look like other kinds of malware just at first glance. And so – uh, that might be a reason why the hackers chose it I mean, or it may just be that the hackers were really, really familiar with that particular language and it could do what they needed it to do. But uh, a lot of the analysis I've read suggests that perhaps the reason for picking it was because it was less uh, recognizable.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it does – Flame does record system information about the systems that it's on.
0: Boy, howdy does it. It's, it's kind of a uh, catch-all. Mm-hmm. When, and again, a lot of this depends on what modules are installed on top of flame you know think about think about flame in a way like uh you would an operating system like iOS and mm-hmm. that you know iOS can do lots of stuff, but it can do more stuff when you add apps to it you know right. the apps give you very specific features
1: it's the uh basically the the way that computers work exactly
0: so so uh Chris and I both happen to have an Android phone, mm-hmm. different Android phones, and that I would wager that many of the apps that Chris has I do not have and vice versa, and there are a few that we might have in common.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that that's because Chris wants his phone to do a certain set of things, and I want my phone to do a certain set of things. Hackers are the same way. They may want their their malware to do certain things in certain situations. And they don't necessarily need everything. It doesn't have to be a kitchen sink approach. So that's kind of the idea behind Flame. So some of the things it can do as far as cyber espionage go, uh, it can do keyboard activity. So a key logger uh, function like Chris was talking about earlier. This is what tracks what keys are being pressed. Usually you use this so that you can find out things like uh, passwords and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can monitor network traffic so it can actually see what computers the infected computer are, is uh, communicating with and possibly even sniff out those that data. It can take screenshots so the person on the other end of this uh this connection can get a look at what the user is is looking at whenever they're using the computer also very important if that particular computer is used in a a high security environment mm-hmm uh it can even record audio it can use a computer's microphone and record audio so just imagine it's like bugging a a an office except you don't have to put a bug in there mm-hmm. which is amazing you know, think about it there are you know there are offices that are in such high security areas that there are frequent bug sweeps mm-hmm. where the the company or government agency will have someone come through and search for any electronic bugs that might have been planted there in order to record conversations. Well, this gets around that. It turns the person's own computer into that recording instrument. Mm-hmm. It can even do things like, uh, uh, record Skype conversations. And the, the one I saw that I thought was particularly clever was there's apparently a module that will allow if, if the computer has Bluetooth capability, it will become a, uh, a, a beacon, a Bluetooth beacon, and will try to connect with Bluetooth devices that are within range and download information from them. Interesting. So if you have a smartphone, you're a government official, and you've got a smartphone, you've got Bluetooth enabled so that you can use your cyborg earpiece that everyone tends to use. Then the, your computer might try to do a Bluetooth handshake with your device and pull information from your device into – uh, the computer so it can send it off to the hacker. So it's all about gathering information. Uh, there's also been some some uh, 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 suggestions that perhaps this is related as well to another kind of malware. In fact, that malware may just be a module on top of Flame called Wiper which does exactly what you would think it does. It wipes data from a device. So it may also not just be about data collection, but also uh, destroying data. And in fact, it does look like there's been some uh, some data loss, uh, particularly in Iran, that may be due to
1: this particular malware. Mm-hmm. Um, it is important to note, too, that this is not the only piece of modular malware out there. Um It is just, uh, it is especially, uh, unusual in the size of this malware and sophistication. sophistication. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, this is sort of an indication that, uh, the game might be afoot, if you will. Basically, my dear Chris. Exactly. What, 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 what's going on is, and I think this is part of the reason that, uh, people are so, if you, if you follow the tech press or, the tech media, let's say, um, you've probably seen a lot about this in the past few weeks. And I think the reason for that is because it's captured our imagination and it's, it's made us all realize that, uh, electronic espionage is here and people are using it. And it's, and it's not, uh, it's not the uh, exception anymore. I have the feeling that, uh, and I'm uh, basically, I am certainly not the only one from my, my reading that, uh, uh people seem to feel that this is state sponsored espionage and that this kind of thing is going to become more and more and more common as the years go on because this is the way the world does business. Yeah. Um and I mean all kinds of business. Um personally I think the reason that it's designed to capture uh webcam stuff is so that they can post um videos on YouTube of high-level officials dancing to Lady Gaga videos in their closed offices that they've had swept for bugs so that they won't get caught doing it.
0: That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's Taylor Swift videos.
1: Ah, I see. Um,
0: but no, the, the, the other thing about this is that I think it's interesting. If you think that this, this malware may have been around since 2000, 2007, mm-hmm. it shows that hackers were of the same mindset as Steve Jobs. Because they (laughs) saw that apps were the next big thing. No, really, seriously, when you think about it, it is kind of amazing, because they were thinking, well, let's make this a very flexible, adaptable malware system so that we can use it in multiple uh, uh, use cases. And we don't have to, again, we don't have to send the whole thing to everyone. Um, It did, you know, just like other malware, it attempts to cover its tracks as much as possible, so that way You know, it can stay on an infected computer as long as possible.
1: And it's very good at it if it's been around for years.
0: Yeah. Um, and just now we're talking about it. Uh, and also it's, it spreads kind of in a way similar to other types of malware. You might think, well, how does, how do they get, how is that initial uh, entry into a system? How is that accomplished? Well, there are a couple of different ways you could do it. Um, there's some, Suggestion that perhaps it was a spear phishing attempt,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is where you have a specific target in mind mm-hmm. and you know you – know, you have enough information about that target to be able to create an email that could tempt that target into executing a file that they probably shouldn't have done.
1: Right. Phishing is uh, – with a PH. Yes. Is a um, social engineering tool to gather information you've probably just about everybody i'm sure who is listening to this has had uh, a phishing email show up in their spam box where it says hey you've uh your uh bank account has been compromised and we need you to uh send us your information Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and you go you know i haven't i don't have an account at this bank and i've never had an account at this bank i always chuckle at those because i think nice try yeah um but that but but that is what what fishing is known for if you if you were to click on that link and go further and and um enter your private information in there they would be able to use that in identity theft um operation yeah. but spear phishing is specifically targeted Um, as Jonathan said, to a certain person. So it is especially effective because it says, hey, Jonathan Strickland, we know that you have an account here, uh, and uh, this is a problem with your account. You need to enter your information. Please send us your stuff. There's been some unusual activity on your account. I love that one. Which is even better because
0: the unusual activity – comes true,
1: yeah. Because exactly. you go
0: and you check your account, and the next thing you know, you have actually given over the information to the people who will generate the unusual activity on your account.
1: Yeah, don't ever follow those links.
0: Yeah, no, no. It's better to it's better to go to those those sites directly through your your browser, uh, as long as you don't have um, the the DNS changer malware on yeah. your computer, which sends right. you to the wrong browser anyway, or r- wrong site rather anyway. Right. Uh, so anyway, getting back to this, uh, spear phishing is a very, very pot- possible uh, way that this initially got out into the wild. Mm-hmm. However, it can also be spread through USB thumbsticks, which means getting physical access to someone's computer, not always the easiest method.
1: No, but that's a—that's exactly what they did with Stuxnet, apparently. Yeah, was uh, they snuck it into uh, nuclear power facilities on a, a USB flash drive?
0: Which you know, it, it's not necessarily the easiest way, but it is. I mean, I guess it all depends on your target, because you could either do it yourself, where you are, you know, you pose as say a technician, saying, "I have to install this new software onto your computer so that we can." Uh, maintain security.
1: Perhaps you're Klaus Hergesheimer checking
0: radiation shields. Or you could uh, actually mail a thumbstick to a person and say, "Here is the file you wanted," and have them install it themselves.
1: Sometimes it's that easy. Yeah.
0: Sometimes it. Sometimes that ha- that works. I mean, because you know, people don't necessarily think, "Oh, there could be something bad on this thumb drive."
1: By the way, there could be
0: something bad on that thumb drive, Um, so uh, you know that's another possibility. And also, once it gets in the network, there were other ways of leveraging the network uh, to help infect other computers. One of which I saw was using uh, a printer spooling uh, uh, protocol, Mm -hmm. where certain printers, you know, you could send the malware through the printer queue, and other computers as they connect to the printer queue could be infected that way. Which is kind of interesting, but that means that you already have to get into the network initially in order to take advantage of something like that. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, you can't just necessarily attack straight through the printer. Although, I suppose you could if it was a printer that had internet connectivity and you had the, you know, password to get into that. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, at any rate, it propagates through those ways, and apparently, uh, it will only do so. Under the direction of the hackers, mm-hmm. so this is not the kind of malware that will just copy itself an infinite number of times and just send it to every single contact within a computer's uh, uh, database. Right. Instead, it's a very controlled attack, which is again another another reason why uh, uh, the analysts think this could be state-sponsored. Because typically, if you have someone who's just interested in either creating as much trouble as possible or just trying to make a profit off whatever it is they're doing, they're probably less likely to have this sort of controlled approach where they're targeting specific computers. Because why do that when you could go with a blanket bomb approach and just infect everyone you possibly can? Mm-hmm. Uh this appears to be much more of a precision attack. So that tends to suggest a state sponsored approach. Now by that we mean that some government has gone out and hired uh programmers to create this malware with the intent of using it on some other nation's computers, possibly possibly computers within the own their own nation. I mean it all depends on what the government's uh, uh Motives are, uh, and then they're going to gather information and analyze it and uh, make their own plans based on what they they see. So typical spy stuff, as opposed to say a group of of a uh, you know just just group of hackers that just want to get as much information as possible in order to make as much money or as much trouble as they can. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah, um, the the country that has asserted the state-sponsored claim more than any that I've seen is Iran. Yes. Who blames Israel and the United States uh, for the attack.
0: And and Um, there was a statement from an Israeli government official that I think inadvertently kind of gave the – uh, implication that Israel was directly involved, but I don't think that was the intention of the statement.
1: Well, one way or the other, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> right, but the but
0: the government official essentially said, "We would, uh, you know, this is this is sort of the I'm paraphrasing here. This is the world we're in, and if uh, if we think these tactics are going to work, we're going to use them." Mm-hmm. Which essentially sounded like an admission, but. Um, the Israeli government very quickly said, "No, no, no, we deny that we have anything to do with this."
1: <laughs> However, we could write a much more sophisticated program than that. No, I'm I'm kidding. Yeah, um, but Are yeah, you- I mean, he, they're saying that they they wouldn't uh, n- just because they uh, did or did not uh, launch this. This is the kind of thing that we're going to see more of, which is which is what the analysts have been saying too. Um, it was very unusual too because uh, the. Uh, the organization known as F Secure, which is a uh uh an anti known antivirus um organization in Europe, um, was contacted by uh the Iranian computer emergency response team uh for assistance with that, but apparently it never it never went through. But they they did contact them, which is kind of unusual because usually they uh Iran is kind of uh tight-lipped about these kinds of things until, you know, they can, they can say something about it. But they were asking for help initially. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, as Jonathan was saying a minute ago, um, the, the attacks have been very targeted. And they're, we're not talking about uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of computers that are f- infected like uh, other malware has. Yes, we're there, talking about a few thousand at most.
0: Yeah, there may be fewer than a thousand, in fact, yes. across the entire world. With the greatest concentration, like we said, being in the Middle East, and uh, yeah, so it's you know it's very possible that um, that this is uh, this is not necessarily one of those global things that everyone should freak out about. What they should freak out about rather than the nature of the threat that flame poses mm-hmm. is the nature of the threat that the type of malware flame is poses. Yeah, so in other words, exactly. in other words it's not flame we need to worry about. It's the fact that now we know. Actually, it's I guess it's better that we know, but it's now like we a proof know, of concept. Right, there's a proof of concept here. There's this malware that can exist that can be incredibly effective at gathering information and who's to say that the next version of this isn't already out there, in fact, it very well may be out there right now oh and sure i'd be amazed if it weren't out there right now to tell you the truth and it's possible that it could be spying on more than just uh, government or or um, uh, infrastructure type of agencies yeah uh, and also even though this particular kind of malware is all about gathering information that would be. You know, espionage type stuff. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping anyone else from taking that same model and applying it for things like stealing identities, stealing bank account information. Sure. You know, the, you could, you could easily take the same approach and apply it to the very uh, stereotypical means of, you know, what malware tends to do. Right. And it could wreak a lot of havoc. And, I think, uh, I think when it comes to gathering information, like all that information, like listening into phone calls and stuff, I think that's probably not something that the average person needs to worry about simply because if you're using a typical, uh, virus attack mm-hmm. where you're trying to hit as wide a, an audience as possible, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be filtering through that much information. You would have so much information hitting you that it it would be – the signal to noise ratio would be out of control, mm-hmm. right? So you know, well, I was really hoping to get something I could use as blackmail for this guy. But I have to first sit through this three-hour conversation he had with his grandmother about the sweater she knitted for him. And uh, that really is not giving me the juicy details I need in order to – to put the screws to this guy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a it's a very real problem. Now, granted, when you're talking about state-sponsored, you've got entire departments that can sift through that, not to mention access to possible computers that can filter through data much more effectively than people can. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about, like, hackers who are just trying to get data, you know, about a person, uh, it's a different story. Now, what they could do is, if they wanted to uh, infect a lot of computers and just cause mischief then you're talking about some pretty serious issues too like you could talk about you know uh, having computers have failures uh talking about botnets that kind of thing mm-hmm. um now do we need to worry that our computers are all infected well you, what you need to do is do the same thing that we recommend in every podcast we ever talk about when it comes to malware
1: Back up your hard drive and use virus protection software? Use virus
0: protection software. Use a firewall. Anti-virus
1: (laughs) protection. Protect those viruses. Wait, no. That's not what I meant.
0: Protect yourself from viruses, yes. You want antivirus software, reliable antivirus software. Mm -hmm. You want to keep it up to date. You want to keep your operating system up to date because uh, as you patch your operating system, it plugs up vulnerabilities that get discovered
1: over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's that's what they're doing really – A hacker is not necessarily somebody who's evil, but it's somebody who takes something apart to uh, re-engineer it or or to find a different use for it or to find something that's wrong with it. Um, And in this case, what the computer hackers are doing is finding uh, flaws in an operating system, and it can be any operating system. Yeah. Um, Now, now
0: in the case of Flame, we should point out these are Windows-based machines that are being attacked by Flame. We didn't Mm -hmm. talk about that in the – First part of the podcast, but they are Windows-based machines. Mm -hmm. But yes, any operating system has vulnerabilities because operating systems are built by humans Mm -hmm. and humans don't always think of every contingency. It's just impossible to do. And while you are building an operating system or building any system – you're looking at it from one perspective. You're thinking, how can I make this as secure as possible? Mm-hmm. The hacker is looking at it thinking, how can I get into that system? And they're going to start looking at ways that you could not have thought of because they're going to see what you have thought of and go beyond that. Mm-hmm. It's it's just that's the way the game works. But then as vulnerabilities are, are discovered, then you have the flip-flop. You know, you've got the, the reaction to it where you plug that vulnerability. Now, that might create other vulnerabilities or maybe that other vulnerabilities exist that you have not yet discovered. Mm -hmm. But that's why it's important for you to make sure that you update your operating system as updates become available. Yes. I know it can be irritating, especially if you're on a slower connection, to have to update your operating system every week. And uh, you're shutting down your computer and it says – installing update one of 33 (laughs) i wanted to go home yeah um but still it's better to do it and to maintain as high a level of security as you can and Mm -hmm. ultimately the most important thing i think besides the antivirus software and plugging the operating system is engage in good behavior in the sense of don't open strange links don't Execute files that are sent to you from people you don't know. If it's sent to you by someone who does, you you do know. Make sure that you contact that person first and say, "Hey, I got this email from you It had this file in it. Is this what I think it is? Is it cool? Yeah,
1: yeah. because
0: it may be that your friend's computer has been infected,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that you're getting a, a a file that is automatically generated because it's gone through that friend's contact list and you happen to be on it. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the think the way hackers think. And make sure you don't engage in those high-risk behaviors that hackers target because they're, they've proven to be effective tools. Mm-hmm. And if you manage to do that, if you avoid the high-risk behaviors and you keep your antivirus software up to date and you keep your operating system up to date, you have done as much as you can to prevent this sort of stuff from infecting your computer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's foolproof, but it, it dramatically decreases those chances. Working remotely. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah, as, as Jonathan was was saying, there there could be uh, contingencies. Flame actually looks for antivirus software, especially uh, the more common manufacturers' software, and it looks for things that are going to report unusual activity, online activity. There are applications for, I, I think, pretty much every operating system that will say, "Hey." Uh, this program is sending a message out. Is it supposed to be sending a message out? Um, and I've seen malware for for multiple operating systems uh, be able to detect that. So it's looking for anything that's going to report on its activity or or try to eliminate it. Um, and of course, if, if it's something as sophisticated as flame, um, the software can be updated by the hackers. To get around virus detection software. Right. Um, so the vulnerabilities, um, that, that initially allowed Flame to operate have apparently been patched. Yeah. And more some time ago, again, if, if, if the, uh, people who, um, had been using those operating systems had patched their software it would have made it a lot more difficult. Now, if, if the, uh, hacker has a back door into that software, then he or she can say, okay, uh, this vulnerability has been patched, but this one is still open. From now on, use this door out into the internet instead of the one that you were using before. Yeah. And stay, and that allows them to stay one step ahead. Uh, but again, if you, if you take those steps, uh, to keep your, uh, antivirus and your operating system patched as often as you can, as, as it's done regularly, then you, you stand a much better chance at, at preventing something like this from happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, not foolproof, but at least it decreases that percentage.
1: It's fascinating too to look at these modules because you it's it's such an amazing architecture mm-hmm. um, it's it's obvious that the the people who wrote the software uh, intended to set up shop and the operating systems of the people whose infect uh, whose computers were infected by the software by this malware and and uh, they they intended to stay there for as long as they could and record as much information as they could about the operating system, about anything that they connect to. Um, so they they were playing for real.
0: Yeah, the only thing, I think the only indicator that shows that they were not completely fully baked when, uh, when it rolled out is that it does not let you play Angry Birds. Otherwise, I think uh, it was a pretty strong modular system. But until the system has Angry Birds on it, I consider it incomplete.
1: All right then. <laughs>
0: All right, so that kind of uh that kind of sums up the uh the the knowledge we have as of the recording of this podcast about flame. Of course, by the time this publishes, we may have more information, such as a, a stronger indicator of who might be responsible.
1: Although I don't know. With Stuxnet, it's been out for so long, and people still don't know.
0: Although, yeah, both with Stuxnet and with Flame, the the most of the fingers are pointing toward Israel and the United States. Uh, again, no smoking gun. And uh, There's lots of Flame, but no smoking oh. gun.
1: Well, and, and uh, of course, as we know... Um, Internet hackers have been known to find ways to point the finger at someone else. That's true. Um, they're very good at, at uh, hiding their tracks and, and making somebody. Well, the, the names of these modules are all in uh, in English. Yes, and uh, somewhat slangy. Some of them are, are slang terms, so uh, you know, kind of says, "Oh, well, somebody who's very familiar with English probably wrote this software." Um, yeah, so that's, that's the- why
0: I would want to. I want to get like. Uh, If I were to write some malware, I'd want to get slang in something like Romanian.
1: Yeah. Well, the penguins in Australia who wrote this software, very sophisticated, and and, and nobody's going to point a flipper at them. So now you're suggesting it's Linux. I see what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Tux and his buddies down there. So, Uh, well, I think that wraps up our discussion here. Uh, Now, granted, what will be interesting to see is if we see future outbreaks of malware that follow in uh, flames – Smoking footsteps uh, because it is – it has proven to be a pretty effective uh, tactic and of course, you know, we would expect any future form of this sort of attack to take – to be different enough so that it would not immediately trigger suspicion once someone downloaded it. A mm-hmm. uh, 20 megabyte file is – like you said, that's significant for malware. Mm-hmm. It's not still not significant compared to say a, a good music file. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you never know. So, guys, be careful out there. Uh, again, don't need to worry about flame unless you are a high-ranking uh, government official or you run some sort of uh, important facility in the Middle East. And uh, but you know, being careful is always good. Mm-hmm. No matter no matter what. Area of life you might fall in. And uh, let us know what you would like us to talk about in future episodes. You can contact us via email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com. Or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is hsw, And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: Hey, uh, you know, when we recorded this podcast initially, yes, we talked about things like who was responsible for the flame. Virus, right? Saying that it could literally be anyone. It could literally be anyone. and, and Anyone Stuxnet. in the world. And it was very similar to Stuxnet.
0: No, no no, connection to Stuxnet at all.
1: Yeah, but it was awfully similar, and boy, isn't that weird.
0: Okay, yeah. So as it turns out, since we recorded that podcast, news almost, broke. Almost, I'm sorry,
1: not to interrupt. Almost literally right after we recorded this. Yeah. It went like a day. Yeah, exactly.
0: It like a, it was a, by the next week, the news had broken that, <sighs> yeah. that flame... The code for Flame resembled, to the point of identity, part of the code for an early iteration of Stuxnet. Yes. Which,
1: as it turns out, is
0: an incredibly strong indicator that those responsible for the creation of Flame were also involved in creating Stuxnet. So that narrows down that field dramatically. And as Chris said, when we recorded the podcast, that information had not become public. But now we know that Stuxnet and Flame share enough similar code to give us the confidence in saying the same parties were involved in the creation of both. Yes. So that also limits, uh, who could have been behind it in other ways. Right now, uh, it, the accusations have pretty much centered and they have since Stuxnet became uh, public. They've centered on the United States and Israel.
1: Yes, and uh, although neither country has officially uh, confirmed anything, the evidence... (laughs) I can't imagine that they would. No, I can't either, but uh, uh, the evidence has has pointed even more strongly since then. So, I mean, I, I, I would say it's safe that neither Jonathan nor I can confirm or deny any, you know, any involvement by any government anywhere? I, I can
0: I can deny that I had any
1: involvement. Yes, that's about that is. <laughs> that's, but, that's but as the far evidence, as I can go, the evidence is is stronger now to suggest that based yes. on based on the information that we've received in the media. So and there
0: was also wow an interesting discussion that popped up, and I think it's one that we can have a, a kind of a quick version of it here on our show. Yeah, about. Stuxnet and Flame both existed on computers for years before anyone else outside of the operations knew anything was going on.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's amazing because it, it seems very fresh to us, yeah. but, but it, it, it has been out there for quite some time.
0: So, right, it remained undetected for years. And in the case of Flame, you're talking about a significant file size. It's yes. not a small piece of code. No. Uh, the argument I've seen says that the era of antivirus software is over because if antivirus software can't protect you from these things, if they can remain hidden for years, then it is useless. Now I wouldn't I think that's go a that premature far. statement. Yeah, I, I think I think that's I think that's extremist. Now I do agree that if code goes undetected, antivirus software is of little help in that case.
1: For something of that variety. Now, uh, we're, when we're talking about the victims of Flame and Stuxnet, these are not you know people sitting at home uh, you know checking the web in their email.
0: No, these so, are targets.
1: Yes, these are these are, are targeted uh, organizations and governments, um, and it is more likely that you or I would be targeted by uh, script kiddies sending viruses by email or by phishing. Mm-hmm. Or even spearfishing, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, I think for everyday folks, protecting their computers is still a very, very good idea. Backing them up and using virus protection software.
0: Yes, yes, and
1: please back your and, computer up. And remember, I mean,
0: these these uh, security firms, as soon as they identify malware, they are at work to try and incorporate that into the antivirus software so that uh, you can detect it and prevent it from infecting your computer, because. Just because something has become known doesn't mean it's no longer dangerous. It's still dangerous. Uh, If it's unknown, then it's extra dangerous because your software may not be able to protect you against it. But yeah, uh, I, I agree, Chris. I don't think that antivirus software is useless. I think it still has a place. I think you have to couple antivirus software with smart computing practices, and that will help protect you from malware. Yes. All right. Well, that wraps up our postscript. So uh, please don't write us telling us that we missed out on that fact. Yeah, I, we did, <laughs> but we, we fixed it.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Play.